Uh, welcome, welcome. This is the time of our Wednesday night like gathering where we open the Bible and where we read a text and we try and figure out what it means and we try and apply the God's word to our life. And so welcome. We've been going through the book of James. Actually, we, uh, it's our second week in the book of James, really. And um, our, all year we're going to be going through this book and we're, we're, we're going through it, looking at, through this, looking at it through this lens, the handbook to hypocrisy. James has a lot of do's and a lot of don'ts. And we're going to talk about that tonight. And uh, so the idea of the book is following through with the life that God has called you to as a believer, as a Christian. Uh, we live differently. And so uh, the book of James, as it tells us what to do, um, following through means you're not a hypocrite. Not following through makes us hypocrites, right? And so that's the kind of the frame we're looking at. It. Last week, we looked at this idea that James opens with, right? This idea of trials. You guys remember that? Talking about trials and suffering, like the hard things in life, um, that early church that James was writing to, they had a lot to deal with, right? They had a lot, they had a, they had a, a lot of political, a lot of relational, a lot of economic, a lot of like persecute, a lot going on. And they were facing a lot of difficulties, a lot of trials. And so last week we talked about what does it mean to face trials? What does it mean for you and I to face trials, to walk through difficult things in life um, and how we get through them. And the way we get through them is through faith in God, right? Because God is bigger and God is good. God is transcendent and God is good for us. And so as we looked at that last week, we kind of ended with this idea of transformation, that walking through trials, going through hard things with faith in God changes us, right? So look with me at, at, at James 1.4 and James 1.18, the bookends of the text we looked at last week. James 1.4 says this, and let steadfastness, that's steadfastness in trial, let steadfastness in faith have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now go down to verse 18. This is God of his own will. That's God's will. He brought us, us forth, that's through trial, by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So last week, the culmination of walking through hard things with faith in God is, is a change to us, right? And it's us that's not really us. You guys remember that? We looked at 2 Corinthians 3.18 where walking through hard things and God sanctifying us, that word for change and growth, we become something new, right? It's not about us anymore. It's about Christ in us. You guys remember that? And so that's where we're picking up here. We're picking up after walking through trials with faith in God, with trust in the good, perfect God of the universe that changes us. And uh, so tonight, today, James is going to tell us uh, more about the kind of person that walks through trial in faith, namely the Christian. He's going to tell us about the Christian. Um, how many of you guys have, uh, have watched or like read books like crime novels or crime procedural shows, like CSI, Law and Order, those kind of things? Yeah? Yeah. Uh, my wife and I got into this one recently, and it's, it's called Elementary. It's a Sherlock Holmes one. It's awesome. It's funny. It's clever. It's, 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 it's a good show. We really enjoy it. But really, all it is, it's the same thing that the rest of like every crime show of all time is, right? The premise is like a crime's committed, and there's this story, and they like go from one suspect to the next, gathering little pieces of information and evidence. And then at the end, you get the whole, you know, a bigger picture of like, of what happened in the crime, right? Whether it's like a heist or a murder or something or whatever, right? Essentially, it's the same thing as every crime procedural show ever. But it's an awesome show. I highly recommend it. The point is, tonight, by way of example, uh, James is gonna give us some pictures of evidence that point to a life changed by God. James is gonna show us what a life steadfast through trial, a life changed by the gospel looks like. And so tonight, as we, uh, 
as we lay out the idea of evidence of a Christian life, we're going to see this thread, okay? And the thread tonight is going to be this following Jesus means knowing and doing God's word. Following Jesus means knowing and doing God's word. James is going to show us what real Christ followers look like, how real Christ followers act, and more specifically, how real Christ followers are obedient to God's word and cherish God's word. He's going to give us three evidences tonight, three evidences of a life changed by the gospel. And he, okay, here's the challenge though, real quick, okay? James is hard sometimes. James is hard because it's this book that just lays out what to do, right? The, the name of Jesus actually only shows up twice in the whole book, okay? Uh, but we can read the gospel into so much more than just twice because the Bible is, an, is a unit, a unified book pointing to the same place. And that's to the gospel of Jesus. The whole Testament leads into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of Jesus, right? And the whole New Testament is built out of the life of Jesus and the gospel. And so as we read James, we can't just read it as this like disconnected book, this like roadmap on what to do and how to live without attaching it to the gospel because that's what the Bible does. Everything that we read in this New Testament is connected to the life, death, resurrection of Jesus and the gospel that he gives us. And so as we read that text tonight, we have to, we have to keep that in mind. With everything that James is gonna challenge us with, we have to keep the gospel at the front of it. And so I wanna, what I wanna do is I just wanna pray and then I wanna get right into it. So uh, let's just pray again real quick. Lord, Father, we, we, we need your supernatural influence on our bent and broken hearts, Lord. We are, we are creatures that long after sin, after our own identity, after our own desire. Uh, God, we are, we are broken, Lord. We need, uh, we need you to repair us, but more than that, we need you to, to transform us, Lord. And so God, as we, as we encounter the gospel and try to live out of the gospel, Father, just help us to be more faithful to you, to be more obedient, to cherish your word more, to love your word more. Yeah, so Father, just help us. We need you. We can't do this without you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. All right, so uh, tonight we're going to, uh, yeah, we're gonna start in James 1, verse 19 through 21. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, not on your phones, if you got your Bibles not on your phones, because your phones should be where? Right there, yes. If you got your Bibles not on your phones, open them up, or it'll be on the screen. James 1, verse 19 through 21 starts, Know this, my beloved brothers. That's James talking. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now here's like, this is the start of like everything we just talked about, the do's and the don'ts, right? The do's and the don't do's, right? Um, we have a tendency to like hear that and like hear the, the, the live this way, do these specific things, do these like list of, like, we have a tendency to categorize that under the, this like, uh, the, how culture looks at religion, which is like this, um, this, this religious, piety, right? Like we have a tendency to look at the do's and don't do's of scripture and file it under like the idea of law, not grace. Meaning we look at it as this list of rules to do. It's kind of, it kind of hits us a little awkwardly. Um, it kind of throws up our guardrails. Like uh, when we read or listen to someone talk about do this and don't do this, it makes us a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? Culturally, right? Uh, and, and here's the thing, like none of us like being told what to do. 
That's like baked into who we are now. None of us like being told what to do or not what to do. Like we're millennials. I guess we're millennials and Gen Zers, right? Yeah, we're millennials and Gen Zers. We don't like being told what to do, right? By our parents, by our professors, by our friends, by our RAs, by anybody. We don't like being told what to do. Uh, it's this idea of like, you know, you can do you and I'll do me, right? Like you got your own thing going on. You got your own truth. You got your own faith. You're going through, you know, your Christian thing your way. Let me do it my way, right? It doesn't have to look the same. It doesn't have to look the same. I'll do my thing over here. You do thing, your thing over there. We can get together, go play hoops together, go to the food zoo, hang out, go to, go to basketball games, go to Grizz games, but don't tell me what to do, right? Don't tell me how to live. I, I got that. Or I can figure it out myself. Let me go through it myself. Let me experience life myself. And what happens is that just, that, 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 that hits us in our faith. And when we read God's word, right? We have this tendency to ignore, or, or not, not ignore, but minimize the commands of scripture. We have this tendency to minimize the commands of scripture because we don't like being told what to do. And that attitude is the exact same thing James is talking about here. He says, don't say anything. And don't get angry, like don't get all riled up. Just listen. Listen carefully to what James is gonna talk about. Listen carefully to what I'm saying in this book. It says, listen, listen with humility. James 1, 19 through 21, one more time. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce righteous, the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. What does he say to listen to? What does he say to receive in there? The implanted word of God, which is able to save your soul. That's our first evidence, mark of a Christian is a follower of Jesus receives the word. And a follower of Jesus receives the word with humility. He says, don't get mad at what the Bible says. Don't get mad and, and frustrated and quick to talk when the Bible tells you to do something, when God's word tells you to live a certain way. Because the same God that saved you from an eternity of blind wandering in this universe, that same God has a life that he wants you to live. Right? It's easy for us. It's just baked into who we are to, to just ignore and reject and minimize what God, God tells us to do. We challenge authority, Right? That's, that's, that's who we are. We question our instructions, critical thinking, right? We resist the status quo. It's become so normative in culture and thus it's become so normative when we read the Bible or listen to other Christians talk or Bible guys up here that's, that open the, the word and be like, ah, it's all right. I got my own thing going on. <laughs> I got my own thing going on. Y'all, we are gonna encounter truths and commands and do's and don'ts in this book. And they're gonna be hard to swallow. They're gonna be hard to deal with. They're gonna press up against your sensibilities. They're gonna press up against the life that you're living. It's gonna challenge you. We're gonna come face to face with our own struggles in the face of those commands, with our own failure in the face of those commands. And the easy way out, the easy answer is to do what we do in politics. Like we ignore the... Like we really just ignore evidence, ideas, arguments from the other side. It's the same thing we do when we argue about MJ and LeBron, right? It's like, I got my, you know, I'm a LeBron guy, right? I don't, your arguments for MJ, yeah, sure, whatever, right? Minimize, ignore. The easy answer is to dis dismiss or minimize or throw to the side 
the commands of scripture in favor of things like love, in favor of things like justice and peace and kindness. And that's why the word meekness here is so vital to how we receive God's word. Meekness is just, it's an agreeable compliance. It's humility. Last week, we saw that God is bigger than our trials, right? God's bigger, he's transcendent. We also saw that God is good, right? That same transcendent good God gives us truth to live out of. And more than that, he gives us actual instructions, right? He gives us actual instructions. It makes sense that his commands and truths are gonna be bigger and good for us. Our lives are littered with the remains of our old selves. They're littered with with the life that we used to live apart from Christ. We all have parts of ourselves that we're holding on to. Parts of ourselves we're holding on to that kind of an emergency exit out of the hardness of living a Christian life, right? Kind of backup hard drives as we try and, uh, backup hard drives of sin as, as, as we are challenged with being a Christian today. The Bible's gonna offend who we are in our flesh. It's gonna offend us. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard to read. It's gonna, you're gonna wanna get angry. You're gonna wanna say something. James says, listen and receive that word. Don't challenge it. Receive it. Evidence of a life captured by the gospel of Jesus is one who receives the word of God with humility and meekness, despite how counter that may be to the life that we're holding on to. Giving up the old self for a new and better life is a sign of of the word that saves our souls. So number one, receive the word. Receive the word with meekness and humility. That's the first evidence. The second one is see the word. See the word. Let's read James 1, 22 through 25. Verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Have you guys heard the, the story or the myth, like the Greek myth of, uh, of Narcissus? Yeah, where the word narcissism comes from. Anyways, so there's, I'll I'll tell you it if you haven't heard it. So there's this dude named Narcissus, right? And this is a, this is a myth that dated like a couple hundred years, I think, before the, uh, before this was written, before James was written. And so it was baked into Greek and Roman myth. And so it's just this idea. Okay, so there's this dude, okay? His name's Narcissus. Obviously, it's the story of Narcissus. Narcissus, and he's a good looking dude, like a really good looking dude. He's like a Chris Hemsworth looking dude, not Liam, He's a Chris Hemsworth, a Thor looking dude, right? And so he's living life and like everyone wants his affection, right? Everyone wants to be loved by him, wants, wants, a part of his, wants to be a part of his life. Uh, but this dude, he's never looked at himself in a mirror. He's never seen his reflection. And so he comes across this still lake, this really still serene lake. And he like glances over and he looks at himself in the reflection. He's like, dang. <laughs> but what happens is he becomes so enamored with himself so captivated by his own visage, by his own beauty, that he can't look away. It gets to a point where like, he, re- he realizes that he's not gonna be able to be loved or cared for or cherished by someone as beautiful as himself. 
So he ends up dying of sorrow by this lake. And the, as the Greek myth goes, he's still in the underworld looking at his own reflection, unable to look away. That's where we get our word narcissism from, right? He was so obsessed with himself uh, that he couldn't look anywhere, anywhere outside of himself for any kind of joy or beauty or satisfaction. He was so consumed by his own beauty that nothing else could compel him to move, to act. The metaphor James uses in the middle of our text is kind of similar. It's, it's similar. There we go. There we go. The mass exodus. Let's, let's see it. Good luck. Get a dub. That's not awkward at all. Right in the middle of a, you know, you're not leaving. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. All right, let's zoom back in. So that story of Narcissus, that's that like Greek myth, that, that part of, of, of Greek and Roman canon was not, oh, I thought you were leaving too, Carly. I was about, oh. <laughs> that story of Narcissus is, is probably known. And so as, as James tells this story, he tells, he tells us of a story of a guy who isn't so captivated by his own image that he can't look away. He uses a metaphor of a guy who looks at a mirror, walks away and forgets what he saw. He forgets what he looks like, uncompelled by himself, uncompelled to change anything, uncompelled to do anything, no identity, no defining features. He, see, he looks at himself in a mirror and sees nothing worth remembering, nothing that would compel him to act or move. Rather than seeing the beauty of himself like Narcissus did, this man saw nothing worth remembering, nothing so important that he couldn't forget it. See, we are constantly assessing ourselves, aren't we? Like we're constantly assessing ourselves as friends, as a boyfriend, a girlfriend, as, as, as assessing ourselves as kids, people that our parents would want to be proud of, right? Even mechanically, like in, in classes, right? You're constantly being assessed at how well you know something, how well you memorize something, how well you can process information or, or plug in formulas or information into formulas and systems. You're constantly being assessed, you're constantly being assessed as to whether or not you're living up to expectations or failing them. How many of you guys, when you're assessing yourself and you look at your Christian self in a mirror, are left uncompelled? See something worth forgetting? How many of you look at the Christian life you're called to live and the life you're living and want to forget what you saw? Lots of us do that, ignore and forget and neglect the blatant inconsistency of what God has called us to and how we're living. Some of us even probably look in a mirror and we don't even see something worth forgetting. We see a fraud. We look at our Christian selves in a mirror and we see someone who doesn't belong. Let me tell you something. The the reason you feel like a fraud when you look at your Christian self in a mirror, the reason you feel like an imposter whose life doesn't live up is because you're looking at yourself. Read James 1, 25 again. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James could easily made this metaphor like, one dude looks in a mirror, forgets himself. Another dude looks in a mirror, remembers what he looks like. But that's not what he did. 
what does he compare the guy that looks in the mirror and forgets himself to? The perfect law. The perfect word of God. The reason that you look at yourself in the mirror as a Christian, as a person, and see something worth forgetting or see a fraud or see someone that doesn't live up or belong is because you're looking at yourself. You're not looking at God. You're not looking at Jesus, the perfect law. The second mark of a Christian, of a new creature, evidence of a new life is one who looks at themselves in a mirror and doesn't see themselves, but sees Christ in you. The only way that you can receive the word of God with meekness and humility is if you see the word of God, the perfect law of God as something beautiful and worth moving you. Remember last week we saw, we said we saw like a fuller and more perfect you, right? What we did at the beginning, verse four, verse 18, you go through trials, become something more, but it's not about you, right? It's Christ in you picking back up on that idea. James is saying, stop ignoring and forgetting who God's called you to. Remember the perfect law, the perfect gospel, the perfect Jesus. Be compelled by something better than yourself, by something fuller. James make this, makes this pretty clear for us. Doing and knowing the word of God isn't an endeavor you are capable of if what you are looking at is if what motivates you is yourself. Being a Christian isn't something you and I can do without being compelled by the beauty of the perfect law, the perfect Jesus. It's really important that we don't neglect the do's. It's really important that when we read the Bible, we don't get angry. When we read the commands of God, that we don't speak up and be like, man, I don't need that. That's not for me. That's for you. It's important that we do the do's. But first, it's important that we see Jesus as beautiful as any reason whatsoever to do the do's. Knowing and doing requires seeing the perfect law of the Lord. It requires seeing the perfect word of the Lord, seeing the perfect Christ. A Christian, a Christ follower receives the word with meekness and humility and a Christ follower sees the word with eyes that see something beautiful. And finally, the third evidence of a life changed by the gospel is do the word. Read James 1, 26 through 27 with me. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, before we get into this, I want you to go back with me, okay? I want you to, I want you to let's play some theater of the mind. I want to go all the way back to first century, like, Christ, like Roman era Christendom, okay? Like this is somewhere between like AD 40 and or AD 80 or whatever. I want us to go back there, okay? Um, the gospel's exploding. Christianity is something new. People around the world, are, it was exploding and moving out, out of the Middle East. And uh, more and more people were being, being given this new things, this new thing in Jesus. And yet, these were people facing trial as we saw last week. A lot of trial, a lot of suffering, persecution from people in their midst, hatred from their neighbors, excommunication from their families, governments that didn't want this Jesus, this gospel to move. 
They were challenged by a world that hated them, hated their God, and hated their gospel. It wasn't until several hundred years later that Christianity became normative and was integrated into the the, the normalcy of society. The people around them hated them, their neighbors, their grocers, their doctors. The world was not a safe place to follow Jesus. And obviously this is a long time ago, right? We're talking first century. But we care a lot about realism in our entertainment today, don't we? Like we, we want our, our TV shows and our, uh, our movies and our books, we want them to capture the reality of experience, yeah? We want them to capture the reality of what it was like in the Middle Ages or Vietnam or Nazi Germany. Like we want that, our entertainment to, to hit us with experience and reality. So let us consider the brutal realism of living as a Christian in the first century. A world that hated you, ravaged by death and war, diseases that couldn't be cured, an unjust system of government that was aimed at persecuting Christians, famines without Costco, a really hard world to live in. Now here's the thing, we love our excuses as millennials and Gen Zers, right? Like we love avoiding responsibility. Normal for us. Sickness to avoid work. Who has not called in sick to work other than Tyler when they're not actually sick? Oh, more of you than I thought. Um, More of you than I thought. But we love snow days. We love sick days. We love avoiding responsibility, right? Um, This is absolutely true for our faith as well. We love avoiding responsibility when it comes to living out our Christian faith in holiness and obedience to God. A jerk of a friend who doesn't deserve kindness, but a fist to the face, right? We love our excuses, How often have you been confronted with something you should do, with something God's words tells you to do, and you found an excuse, or 10, not to do it? Use reading your Bible, for example. I mean, avoid reading your Bible because you got an exam the next morning. You really got to study tonight. Or you get up the next morning, you're like, I got an exam today. I can't read my Bible. I got to read my chemistry book, right? I'm tired. Or my favorite, my heart's not in the right place to read God's word. We love our excuses to avoid responsibility to obey. And sometimes, you know, they're reasonable excuses. They're reasonable reasons. According to our understanding, our rationale, we really easily rationalize these reasons. But if anyone had a legitimate excuse not to love their neighbor, it's the first century Christians whose neighbor wanted to kill them for their faith. If anyone had a good excuse not to live out their faith in their family, It was first century Christians who'd be excommunicated from their family for living out their faith. What does James call that kind of faith? What does James call call the kind of faith that's unwilling to live itself out in this persecuted, broken, trial-filled, suffering-filled world? Look with me at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. James says that faith without evidence of faith is worthless. It's not faith. James says that not living out your faith, the not being obedient, even in circumstances like those first century Christians were living in, isn't faith at all. Because here's the thing, guys. God's like, he's given us so much to do. And I don't mean that in like the here's a list of things to do sense, but we live in this truly jacked up world, right? 
What, and the example he uses in verse 27 is orphans and widows, right? We live in this jacked up world with oppressed people with broken things happening in our world, right? Like uh, there's racial and ethnic oppression. There's genocide, there's sex trafficking. There's simpler things like bullying, right? Like broken relationships. There's a world where we can, where we can live out of what James is talking about. This kindness, like very literally visiting orphans and widows in their oppression, like how many of you are intentionally seeking out friends on campus that are struggling with depression or loneliness or anxiety or feel some kind of oppression? How many of you are even aware that that exists in your circles? James is saying living out your, there's an endless, endless amount of suffering and pain and doing for the Christian. There's an endless amount for us to do in this broken, oppressed world. In a more general sense, how are you doing the word? How are you living out your faith here on campus? There are a lot of excuses. There are a lot of reasons to avoid responsibility and obedience. And I'm, I don't mean to minimize how hard it is to be a Christian today, man. I, it's hard being a Christian in 2018. People don't like Christians, much less Christians that take the Bible seriously, right? It's weird to believe in a God, much less a Jesus who rose from the dead and take the words written thousands of years ago seriously. It's hard, I get it. But whatever your excuse, I guarantee you it's not. It's not as compelling as what the first century Christians faced, right? It's not death, it's not excommunication. I wanna read verse 27 one more time. Verse 27 says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. How many of you guys have heard that verse before? True religion, visiting orphans and widows, right? That's one of those like coffee cup verses. You know what I mean? That's one of those things, like one of those ones that gets wood burned into like those signs that get hung up in houses. True religion, orphans, widows, heck yeah. How many of you have seen the whole verse on one of those coffee cups? to keep oneself unstained from the world. <laughs> that's kind of an unpalatable phrase, isn't it? Especially for us today. That's something that's hard to read, to listen to, and to take seriously. This idea of unstained, that's, that's what people think about when they think about pious, holier-than-thou Christians, pious, holier-than-thou religious people. Oh, I gotta stay unstained from the world, right? but let us offer this explanation by way of the context of the verse itself. What did we just talk about about first, Christians, first century Christians? The overwhelming suffering they were facing. Their circumstances. When he says unstained here, he means living in holiness despite the overwhelming amount of pain and suffering and brokenness in their world the overwhelming amount of oppression and the overwhelming amount of temptation to ignore their Christianity just a little bit so as to avoid some of that brokenness. When James says stay unstained from the world, what he means is live in obedience to the word of God. Live in obedience to the truth of God, not your own truth, not the truth of your identity group, not the truth of culture. Live out of the truth of God regardless of circumstances or excuses or weaknesses, the third evidence of a Christian, of a follower of Jesus, is doing the word relentlessly. 
Now I just want to close with this. I imagine that this, uh, over the course of time in this text, some of you probably felt a weight, right? Like a weight to do, a weight to live differently. Maybe, as our first point said, you, you have old pieces, you have pieces of your old life laying around in your life. You're holding on to something that you don't want to get rid of. You know it's rebellion. You know it's sin. You know you should give it up to the glory of God, but you're still holding on to it. Maybe you feel like a fraud, like you're living someone else's life, like you don't belong here because you can't ever seem to be good enough or you easily forget the life that God's called you to because culture is so compelling. Or maybe you see the world around you, you see the brokenness, you see the challenge, the difficulty of being a Christian today. I imagine some of you feel that weight. <laughs> but let me say this, that's a good thing. That's a good thing because with that weight comes relief. The implanted word, opening our eyes to see the implanted word, to receive it with meekness, to see the perfect law and to do it. If you feel that weight, James says, look to the perfect law right in the middle of our text. See, just see. Be slow to speak, slow to angry, bridle your tongue, but see the perfect law, the perfect law of Jesus. Acknowledge yourself as wholly dependent upon a perfection outside of your brokenness. I want you to walk away tonight with this. I want you to assess your doing. I want you to feel the weight of your not doing but I also want you to walk away not struck by your own ability to do, compelled by how good you are like Narcissus, not forgetting the, the life Christ called you to, like the metaphor James uses. I want you to walk away with the weight of doing on you, but I also want you to walk away with the relief knowing that Jesus did it for you. I want you to walk away compelled by the beauty of the perfect law, what causes you to move and live and do is something outside of yourself and it has actually nothing to do with you. The perfect law compels us in our doing. A savior more compelling than ourselves. Followers of Jesus know and do the word of God because the word of God, John calls it calls the, Jesus the word of God because the word of God is the perfect law of God. He lived for us perfectly. Rest in that and feel the weight of doing because of that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for um, opportunities, uh, opportunities to be on a, uh, a secular campus and open the Bible, to take it seriously, um, to consider truth, uh, to consider the reality of us fitting within the truth of you. And so Father, I pray that as we, uh, as we walk out of here, as we step in to the rest of this week, Lord, I ask that you'd help us to consider your calling for our lives in our holiness, in our righteousness, in our obedience, Lord. Compel us to do because you've already done. Give us eyes to see the beauty of the gospel, the perfect law. Give us 
Give us spirits of humility to receive your word with humility and and meekness. Lord, let us do because you did, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.